0: Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Webster's Dictionary defines the word credentials. Actually, it gives an example. Credentials is an ID flash to gain access. So in the military, you know that you've got to have your ID card on you all the time. When I was in basic training, you would go through the chow line. Uh, and you had to have your ID card with you. And then you had, to, you had to say if you were National Guard, regular Army, enlisted reserve, or whatever. And then say the last four of your Social Security number. But you had to have your ID with you. And one day, I forgot my ID card. <laughs> so I was standing here in the chow line going through it. And I, I kind of held my hand down like this. You know, I thought, I, I can do this. Held my hand down like this and just kind of, you know, pretended I just wasn't in the mood today. Got away with it. I said, uh, National Guard, My last four of my social security number, just kind of pretend I put it in my pocket quick. Nobody said anything. She just wrote it down. She said, okay, we're good. So, all right, credentials, though, get you in the door, right? Credentials get you in the door. But now, very closely related to the word credentials is the word credibility. Credentials might get you in the door, but credibility, on the other hand, your credibility is based on your results, not on your potential. Um, one attractive quality uh, of Jesus... Um, is that he had credentials and he had credibility? Um, he's, you know, known as Joseph's son. Last week we looked at him in Nazareth, and they said, "Isn't this Joseph's son?" But we know him um, as the only begotten son, right, of the Lord Jesus or the, of God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. So his his credibility came from the beginning. Um, he fulfilled over three hundred um, prophecies in the Old Testament. Um, he what walked on water? He calmed a raging storm. He raised people from the dead. Drove out demons. Um, died and rose again. Am I missing any? You know. So his credibility came with his actions, the things that he was doing in his life, and the things that he was doing here on this earth. So people were blown away. Even the people in Nazareth were blown away at his words, right? He had not only credibility in the things that he did, but credibility and authority in the things that he said. So the people in Nazareth were even blown away at his teaching until, um, until they tried to throw him off the cliff. Remember that from last week? That uh, they started to not like hearing what he was saying, the stories that he was telling from their past. And, um, so that's a different story that, that we told last week. Hey, it's on our YouTube channel. Remember to uh, like and subscribe if you're, if you're there, all right? You guys are going to have to smile a little bit more. I need just a little bit of... Blink twice if you're here on on a voluntary basis, all right? Okay, you are. Okay, good. I got a couple hands on that. All right. So, all right. So, after Jesus leaves Nazareth, right, and they try to throw him over a cliff, and he said, all right, peace out, I'm going to go. He went to Capernaum. Um, That's kind of like um, walking from here to Appleton. It's about a good 50 miles and just so we can uh, get some perspective and put some things, frame some things the way they are, I've got a couple maps I want to show you this morning. The first one is um, Israel in Jesus' time. So um, there towards the middle, you can see um, Jerusalem just over that red word Judea. Right there, Jerusalem. And then you got north of that, you have the area of Samaria. And then further north, you see the Sea of Galilee. That's kind of our landmark right there. Um, down to the lower left, you see the city of Nazareth. Right, And then on top of the Sea of Galilee, you have Capernaum. So Capernaum's right on the Sea of Galilee. It's a busy city. Um, there's a lot of trade going on there. There's a lot of fishing, obviously, going on there. So it's a much busier city, and much bigger city um, than Nazareth. Actually, I've got a smaller map that kind of shows that area, too. So you see Nazareth there, um, Cana, and you go through and then you get up to Capernaum. Like I said, it's about 50 miles, so it'd probably take about three days to walk um, from um, Nazareth to Capernaum. So all right, so now after the people um, tried to get rid of Jesus, tried to throw him over the cliff, he went to Capernaum, and the way it reads to us is he set up shop there. He is, Capernaum is now his home base um, in this region. This region right here is called Galilee, a little bit bigger than that is called Galilee. So uh, Nazareth and Capernaum are cities in, in Galilee. So okay, so pick up Luke where we left off last week, um, so chapter 4. If you haven't read through the whole chapter 4 of Luke, by the way, you might want to do that this afternoon. It's... Powerful. It is packed with so much stuff. So many things are happening in that one chapter. Uh, It's it's kind of almost mind blowing. But here, so he leaves um, Nazareth. Uh, Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, that region, right? And taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. So it's hard for us to uh, pigeonhole Jesus into one. Um, kind of role or one kind of pigeonhole, right? Some people will say he's a, he's a wonderful teacher. and absolutely is. The, he is the savior of the world. Absolutely. All these different things. Um, but we can't forget the fact that Jesus was a preacher and that Jesus was preaching the gospel from the very beginning. And some people say above all, he was a preacher. The way he talks, that's what he was here for. I don't have the scripture on the board. I'm just going to fire some at you. Matthew four seventeen, 17. Uh, it says, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, Matthew 11, 1, it says Jesus began to preach in all their cities. Luke 4, 43 would happen right after the stuff we're reading this morning. Jesus says this. He says, I must preach the kingdom of God to these other cities as well. So there's a reoccurring theme with Jesus. I really like how he says, I must preach the gospel. So he says, there's nothing holding it back. So And there's another reoccurring theme. Not only is Jesus preaching that gospel, but the reaction that the people have. Look at verse 32. So moving right along in on, uh, chapter 4. In Capernaum, he went to Capernaum. There too, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. That word amazed, we've talked about it before, it means completely shocked, it means astonishment, it means they, he blew their minds. They can't believe their ears. The crowds in the synagogues, um, and, and many others always had that same reaction. They, they were surprised by the power and the authority of Jesus' words, the way he talked, that absolute authority. So when we see that, you know, what, what does that mean? What are, they, what are they talking about here? What was different about Jesus' teaching and then, than other people? Um, so unlike the rabbis of the day... Um, we say that the rabbis back in the day um, had what we call schools of thought. You know, we kind of think like that today, too, because we've got Lutherans and we've got um, you know, different almost denominations of Lutherans. We've got Baptists, we've got Methodists, we've got Catholics. So we have schools of thought, too, different schools of thought. So, those rabbis would come from a school of thought, and that's where um, the disciples would decide which rabbi they wanted to follow, which rabbi they lined up, their theology, their theology lined up the most with, they would follow that rabbi. But okay, so now the rabbis, though, instead of um, preaching and teaching the Word of God, what they would really do is just quote other rabbis. It was almost like they were just preaching and reading out of a text that had already been written. So, most of the rabbis in each school of thought were kind of saying the same things over and over again. Okay, now, fast forward and pop Jesus on the scene, and all of a sudden, Jesus is teaching, and he's talking about God's word. He's breaking it down for him. Um, His teaching was powerful. It was true. It was um, delivered with great clarity, produced tremendous um, and amazing um, conviction out of the people that he was listening or that were listening to him pop that up there again, that word authority um, can also be translated as privilege. If we could see verse 32 again, yeah, that word authority can be translated as privilege. Now, don't think of that as a you know, highfalutin kind of privilege, um, but it's a, it's a privilege that was not accorded with the other rabbis, with other people. I mean, he had, Jesus had access, complete access to the complete truth of God, because he wrote it. But like I said before, other teachers, the rabbis, were just kind of regurgitating some of the same thoughts that were going around in the circles. And that's what Mark says in chapter 1, verse 22. Again, the recurring theme. The people were amazed at Jesus, at his teaching, Jesus' teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious laws. The teachers of the law could only really teach and share what they had read and what they had been told. But, but Jesus, with that privilege, right? he taught with the words that, that he himself wrote before the beginning of time, right? So again, that credibility with Jesus um, was gained based on his results. And for him, for Jesus, the hits just keep on coming. We could talk about that all day. Now there's one thing for certain, though, that where the word is clearly spoken um, and starts to make a difference in people's lives and starts to make a difference in our communities, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be struggle with that. And sometimes that's how you can tell that you're succeeding, actually, and, um, you might have to choose, you know, maybe you've experienced some of this, you have to choose between um, your relationship with God and your relationship with your church family or your relationship with somebody else here on earth that might not be happy with you being in that church family or that relationship with God. So those people being opposed to God's word, and no matter how irrational or unfounded that, you know, dislike or that op- opposition can be, remember the people in Nazareth tried to ch- kill him because they, they didn't like the way he sounded, you know, and, Man, pastors think they have it rough. I never got thrown over a cliff. I know, somebody reminded me this morning, there's a big cliff right back here, though. There? <laughs> oh, there's a safety net or something. So God, Jesus is proclaiming the words of God with power. He's proclaiming the words with power and authority. Those are the two words that we need to concentrate on. So here, while he's doing that in Capernaum, one of Satan's trusty little minions um, pops on the scene and tries to change the scene. He tries to change um, the, the subject and, and the theme that we're going for here. Um, but before we get into the details um, that our eyes on the ground, Master Luke, has written for us, um, I'd like to look at um, Luke's mission statement again. Uh, back in chapter 1, uh, verses 3 and 4, Luke writes this. He says, So I, Luke, made a careful study of everything and then decided to write and tell you exactly what took place on Theopolis. He says, I have done this, verse 4, this is the verse. I have done this to let you know the truth about what you have heard. To let you know that everything that you have heard is true. Everything that I'm writing here is to back up the things that you've heard so that you know that they're true. And what have we heard? I mean, the big thing we've heard is that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Chosen One, the one that we've been waiting for all this time. Luke says, he's the guy, and here's the deal. And I'm going to tell you some of the things that happened so that you can understand that that's the truth, that we can, we can sink our teeth into that, and we can, without uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, understand who Jesus is and was. So, okay, back to verse 33. In the synagogue... There was a man possessed by a demon, um, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice. He said this in verse 34. Go away, he said. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy, you're the Holy One of God. Um, so, okay, if we were watching this on TV in a, in a sitcom or something, this is where the music would go, dun, 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 and we would cut to commercial and just wait to see what happens after that. So, okay, so before we unpack this, a little bit, I want to define some terms here. I want to just kind of set the groundwork for what we're talking about and what we're reading here. Um, these demon things um, are fallen angels, the ones that um, followed Satan when he rebelled against God. And a third of the angels, it's, it tells us, went with him. Um, so, uh, what do we know about them? Not a whole lot. We know that they possess intelligence. Um, we know that uh, they, they not necessarily rank higher than us, but they are higher than us. Um, they've got physical power, some of them um, incredible physical power that uh, gets shown in different cases. So, um, so what do we, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that reality um, in our world and in our lives? C.S. Lewis says it like this about, about demons. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve in their existence. Okay, so that's one mistake, to, make, to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And then he goes, this is from the Screwtape Letters, by the way, he, he goes on to talk about how that second part, having that unhealthy um, interest in them, excessive and unhealthy interest, actually is where we err on that side more often than not. Luther tried to teach that same thing. Luther said, there's not a devil behind every tree. Sometimes a tree is just a tree. So let's keep moving and just keep going in the right direction. Don't give the demons and, and, the, and those minions um, credit for everything. But we do know this. We do know the goal of Satan and all of his followers is to try to push, his for, push, push forward his lies and his agenda. The things that he wants to go. They have one goal. And that's to convince you to follow their lies instead of following God. Satan, we call him the lying liar who tells lies. Every time he speaks, it's a lie, and for some reason there are people who believe and support that. John, when Jesus is talking in John chapter 8, verse 44, he says, Your father is the devil. You are his children, and you want to do what your father wants. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has never stood for the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever that liar speaks, he speaks according to his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. So the devil's not only trying to make your life miserable, he's trying to destroy you. He's trying to destroy you by destroying your relationship with God. And like C.S. Lewis says, um, you know, either we put no stock in it or too much stock in it, and Satan doesn't care which we do, as long as we're just obsessed with it like that and just looking in another direction. He's happy no no matter where we're looking. So some dismiss demons because they don't exist, but like I said, others believe there's one behind every tree. Back in the beginning of of the chapter of Luke, the fourth chapter of Luke, um, we have Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, okay? So there we have, um, we have Satan on the offensive, attacking Jesus, and Jesus fending him off. Well, then things start to turn, and now Jesus is on the offensive, and he's attacking, and he's driving these things out. But before we get to that, let's take a look at um, and talk about kind of our, our adversary, um, the one that we call Lucifer sometimes, and, and what the Bible actually says about the little guy there. Um, first of all, Satan, listen to this now. I want you to get this clearly in your head, so we're going to take a couple minutes because I'm going to throw out this um, thesis statement and then we're going to back it up. Satan is not the opposite of God. I just want you to think about that for a second. Satan is not the opposite of God. And let me tell you what I mean, because like I said, I want to get this concept in your head. Because when you first hear me say that, well, God and Satan certainly have opposite goals. So in that respect, yes, they are, they are opposite. But what I mean is, old Lucifer isn't anywhere close to God's power or any other attribute of God. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is all-present, present everywhere. We read some scripture this morning that says, He knows your thoughts before you think them. Okay, Satan is none of those. He has no attru- none of those attributes. He is not all-powerful. He doesn't know everything. He's just picking up. So he is not on the level with God. So in that respect, he is, we give him too much credit a lot of times, but he is not on level with God. He is not on par with God. He's nowhere even close to it. If we were trying to uh, rack and stack or rank these things, um, Satan would be opposite of angels, specifically um, Michael, the archangel right so you have god here and i'm not even going to put anything else down because way somewhere down there we have angels right so god is so far above what our enemies that power that lives in god the power that jesus demonstrated that authority and that power that lives inside of us is bigger than anything that we are going to come up against anything that's standing in our way any of those obstacles you know jesus said you can move mountains you can move those obstacles out of your way by his power and by his authority That's what Jesus came to talk talk to us about, and Jesus came to tell us. So Jesus goes on the offensive, right? He attacks these little minions, these little demons, these little devils, whatever you want to call them. So in verse 34, though, this thing freaks out because he sees Jesus coming. Verse 34 says, this is the demon talking, go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Okay, so... Luke is my boy, man. I like the way he writes, and I like this, the way he uh, words things and, the, and the, the kind of ideas that he uses. Okay, so that, that phrase, go away. Okay, so it's tough to translate any language. Um, that is uh, what in English and in, in Greek, we call it an interjection. Do you remember Schoolhouse Rock? We should watch a couple of those real quick. Interjection, okay, so that's, that's like a one word with an exclamation point. Like, wow, right? Okay, so this is kind of the opposite of that. But... This isn't really a word. This is more like, I should cover my mic when I do this, but it's more like this demon going, ah! He sees Jesus at the other end, he goes, ah! You know, what do you want with us, right? So that's what he's he he's freaking out, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, have you come to destroy us? I talked about that word a second ago, because that's Satan's um, objective for you, to destroy you. And that, that word destroy means to put an end to. To end things. God, uh, Satan wants to, to end your relationship with God. He wants you to be destroyed from the inside out. And yes, he doesn't have the power to do it, but he's got the power to lay some things in our path and lay some things in on our, on our way that we ourselves will choose and then start to destroy ourselves. So that's to destroy us. And then he says this. He says, he, you know, the most significant thing that could be said, this, this little demon, this thing says, and he doesn't even realize it. Look what he says there at the end. I know who you are. He says, you're the Holy One of God. And that Holy One of God could literally be translated as God. Like God the Creator, God the Father, God the One God. I know who you are. You're the One. You are the God. right? So um, it's not enough for us to just know that, though. I mean, this this demon knows that, and it's still not changing anything about him, or not changing any of any ideas that are going into their heads. That's why I pointed out earlier that they have intellect; they they have some intellect. But so um, James says it like this in verse uh, chapter two nineteen. He says, "You believe that there is one God." Oh, that's Great! Even the demons believe that, and they shudder, but it doesn't make any difference in their existence, or I would say in their lives, in their, in their beings. It doesn't make any difference. So James is saying, and, and Jesus is saying, and Luke is saying, it's not enough just to know that unless we're applying those truths to our lives, unless we're using those tools that God gives us and those things that Jesus is doing for us. So like the other fellow demons, um, this one back in Luke had to acknowledge Jesus' power, um, his power and authority. Um, not just the name, but the position of power. Because, like I've said before, uh, there's no credible historian that doubts the existence of Jesus, that doubts that Jesus existed and was a person and walked here on this earth. I say credible historian because you can, anybody can write, hey, Jesus never walked on the earth. and you know, I'm saying you know, anybody on the level of C.S. Lewis or somebody like that, there's no credible historian that writes that Jesus did not exist. Everybody acknowledges that Jesus existed. Okay, so if that's our basis, if that's our base, then we have to decide what Jesus was here for and who he was and what he did. Luke says, I'm writing some of this stuff down. I was an eyewitness, and I've got witnesses to back up back in the day. I've got people to back up what I've written down here so that you can know that it's the truth, so that you can know that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Holy One, the Anointed One, the Chosen One, the one we've been waiting for. That's why I'm writing all this stuff down. So we have to decide, then, who is Jesus in our lives, is he just some kind of cool dude that walked around? Is, or is he actually everything? Right? And some very important people in world history, and mankind history, have, have messed this up. I want you to look at a quote, and I'm not going to pick on anybody. but I'm going to show you a quote here um, that Gandhi said. Gandhi says this, Jesus to me is a great world teacher, among others. Okay, great. I mean, that's almost going back to James. You know, the, you believe that there's a God. You believe that Jesus existed, but it's not making a difference because you're falling way short of who he was and what he did and what he came here for. Knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus and being able to quote scripture and things is, is not enough. We have to acknowledge his authority. We have to acknowledge his power. Just like those people in Capernaum did that day. Look at what happened in Capernaum in verse 36 and 37. Excuse me. Amazed it says, "The people exclaimed, what authority and power this man's words possess. Evil spirits obey him and they flee at his command." The news about Jesus spread throughout every village in that entire region. Right? How many times have we read words like that, you know, with a power and authority, even spirits even obey him? Remember then when he calmed that storm in the boat and the disciples said, Who is this guy? Even the storms obey Everything obeys him. Why? Because he's the creator. Why? He is the, the commander of everything that's going on. Get back to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is a, is a book of action. I like Luke a lot. Um, Luke's image of Christ is one of of great activity, great energy, great purpose, great results. We can't read that book, the book of Luke, especially chapter 4, and think somehow in our minds that Jesus is inactive or or passive in any kind of way. In Luke, in the book of Luke, Jesus keeps divine appointments, um, radically affects the life of everyone he came in contact with. In this passage, we find the people right marveling at Jesus' power, marveling at his authority. Not only did he speak with authority and power, but he demonstrated authority and power. Jesus literally did things that only God can do, and people's minds were blown away, and they were completely convinced of who he was. Even those who were spiritually blind had to know there was something different and special about this guy. Say that again. Even people who were spiritually blind had to know there was something different, something special about this, this carpenter from Nazareth, this son of Joseph. There's something different about this guy, this power, this authority that he demonstrated time and time and time again. So like I said, that demon back there said a very important statement. I know who you are. So my question for you this morning is this. Let's boil it all down to this one thing. Have you acknowledged Jesus' power and his authority? Second part is, have you welcomed it into your life by asking Jesus into your heart and accepted his power and authority? Can I get an amen? amen? Okay, let's stand, please.